in Rome during the Coptic Conference. We'll just shorten the name. The Coptic Conference. I know y'all all hanging on bated breath for that one. Bunch of guys sitting around and ladies in a room talking about old scripts from Egypt. It's interesting stuff. Hang on every tweet that comes out of there, right? The Today Show, Matt Lauer interviewed Dr. Carol King. She's the head of divinity at Harvard. And what she released there is now dubbed, what she released at this conference for the very first time for all of the world to see, was a postcard-sized script, papyrus, small piece, for all the world to see. And it's now been dubbed, you ready for this? You heard about it? The Gospel of Jesus' Wife. Right? It's this ancient script from Egypt. Um, much after Christ, probably somewhere, the experts say, in about the 5th century. Probably, maybe the 4th, as early as the 500 A.D.s or the 600 A.D.s. So it's old, and it's there, and this is, this is what she said about that. Okay, because there's been all this great to do about it. It was on NPR. It was on the New, in the New York Times. It was, it was broadcast all over the world through the Today Show because all the women watch Matt. And, and he was you know, riveted by this uh, report. But this is what she said about her discovery made public now. The script we have is very likely authentic. It is very likely ancient. And it does not, even if it is proven after much more study to be authentic, it doesn't have anything to do with the historical Jesus. Front page news, right? Front page news. You know what I said? My wife sent me a tweet. She was watching Matt that morning. And she said, Jesus had a wife. I broke the law. I tweeted back, no, he didn't. <laughs> she called me, yeah, he did. There's this lady, and she's saying Jesus had a wife, and they have proof of it. I said, where? Who saw it? <laughs> no, it's, it's written down. They got the th I said, oh, okay. All right, now I'm on to it, right? So I get to work. I look it up. I read all about it. I mean, I hate to be so critical, but it's much ado about nothing, really. This has been going on since the beginning. This bringing out texts, alternate texts, to rival the text, which, as Dr. Piper said, which, by the way, Dr. Piper is a New Testament expert. He's not just your local pastor. He was trained um, in, in his Ph.D. studies is, are, is in the ancient language, in Greek, and it's in the New Testament. And so he himself has handled some of these texts. He's studied them himself. He's been in the school. He's seen it firsthand Thousands and thousands and thousands of texts, manuscripts. Not just biblical manuscripts and evidence, but historical documents. From the early Jewish historians, the Roman historians, talking about the historical Jesus. And yet our world is fascinated by the non-historical Jesus. To which I said, it doesn't bother my faith at all because I only worship the historical Jesus. They can say what they want about the non-historical guy. My faith's not based on him, right? But our world is filled with this kind of worry and concern. 
And Christians are filled often with it. And you may find yourself there. Why do we hold so tightly to this Bible? Why do we believe in it? Well, that's why we're at the text that we're at. So I just want to walk through it quickly here with you. And then, um, and then we'll ta- open up and talk together. All right? So let's look at the text I read earlier. Paul talking to his student. This is the end of Paul's life. He's writing this letter to his young man in the ministry that he's training up, that he's releasing into full-fledged independent ministry, right? And he starts out by saying, but as for you, Timothy, okay? So why does he say, but as for you? If you look back up at verse 12 and 13, this is what it says. Because where it says, but, we have to look back up and see what, what's, what's he contrasting Timothy with? Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people, so what he's comparing Timothy to is evil people. While evil people and imposters, phonies, fakes will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Timothy, continue, hold fast to, keep walking in the same way. Keep going the direction you're going in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Knowing from whom you learned it. And from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the holy writings, the sanctified writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's a much better translation of the Greek text there. It used to say, all Scripture is inspired by God. Inspiration is something that happens to poets and music writers and authors, just human authors. Expiration only happens from God to the biblical writers. It's not being duplicated in our day. Okay, So I'm glad they've, in the more modern English text, they've kind of made that more true to what the Greek actually says. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's expired and expired out, pushed out from God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I want to just make several points. First of all, he tells Timothy, continue to believe in the Bible, in the Scripture, Because of the faith of the people who taught you. Piper's answer to uh, our proof of um, the scripture tonight was was a little deep. I admit, you know, it's got into all these texts and manuscripts and all this. It's not something we're commonly looking at, right? But at the conference together for the gospel this year, sitting on the stage with all these world-renowned scholars, they asked John Piper, so Dr. Piper, why do you believe the Bible is the word of God? Remember what he said, Andrew? Aaron? Man. What? Because my mama told me so. And they just kept looking at him for something profound. Remember who taught you that this was the Word of God. And their faith. And their life. And keep believing it, Timothy. Timothy. This is probably his grandmother and his mother. 
that have trained him up to believe that the Bible is God's Word. You know, one of the first songs we teach our children is what? The B-I-B-L-E. Yeah, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's the first, but one of the first. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E, and Hope says, Bible song. From the infancy of their childhood, we want our children to believe that God's Word is truth, that it is God's Word. Mamas, this is what John Piper said to the mothers in attendance that together for God's while. I'll repeat it tonight. Mamas, never doubt the power of what you're doing in your home with your children. All the Greek classes, all of the scholarly training, it's worth something. But it's not as powerful as my mama told me so at the end of the day. You're giving your life away to something very important. So the first thing I want you to know is we can believe the Bible because those in history before us have believed it. As a matter of fact, you hear us talking about the Reformation a lot around here. The Reformers started the Reformation, the formal cause of the Reformation was one thing, Scripture alone. If, they said, if God's Word is the authority for our life alone, then we must conform everything we do to its patterns, to its dictums, to its commands. We must put our life in subjection to the Word of God. And so as they started that process of putting their lives in order, they were booted from the church, right? They were kicked out. They were troublemakers. The men in our history, the long strain of history, has taught us that the Bible we've received from, our, from God is trustworthy. It is true. From our childhood we've learned this. Secondly, in this passage we see that these writings are holy. They're sanctified. They're sacred. They're set apart. That's a little bit of what Piper was doing in the video. I mean... If you went to JSU and tried to tell them that Caesar's history was not a real, true document, the words we're reading are not Caesar's words, any professor up there would laugh at you. And we have ten copies. Ten ancient manuscripts from 1000 A.D. and on. The man wrote it in 50 B.C. So a gap of 1,050 years from when he wrote it to the first copy. We have 5,000 pieces and parts of this Bible, New Testament. 5,000 manuscripts. And you ask those same professors, and what will they say? Well, you just can't know if the Bible's really true or not. They don't apply the same standard, do they? They don't talk the same language. The Bible is put apart as something separate. But when we put it under the same microscope as all of the world histories, the Bible stands out as true. It stands out as reliable. It is holy and sacred. I think one of the proofs of the Bible and the validity and truthfulness of the Bible is the fact we have so many copies. Doesn't that say enough? God wanted us to know it. He made sure it was preserved and kept for us. And so, the one thing that um, we can say is that God's Word is sacred. It's holy. The nature of Scripture itself attests to the fact that it is God's Word, unlike any other book, unlike any other thing from ancient history. So, 
what scripture is he talking about? What scripture is he talking about? What? The Old Testament. The Old Testament and Jesus' words. Jesus put his words on par with the Old Testament. You have read, but I say to you. I mean, that sounds like somebody speaking with authority. That sounds like somebody equating two things. I quote the Old Testament, and then I tell you, I said. I mean, that's, that's pretty plain. Not just Jesus' words, but the apostles' words. Peter tells us that Paul's writings are on par with the Old Testament. Take the Scriptures and the things which our brother Paul writes to us. He puts them together. He equates them as one thing. They're all God's Word to us. So here in this passage, most succinctly, he's talking about the Old Testament, but we know from the Word that Jesus' life in the Gospels is the Word of God, and the history of the church given by Acts and the works of the Holy Spirit is God's Word, and the epistles given to us through the apostles' pens is God's Word. The Bible is self-evidently God's Word. Third, from this text, we see that the power of the Bible makes us believe that it is God's Word. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise. That word, able, they're powerful to make you wise unto salvation. The fact that we see people reading the Word of God and becoming Christians, not just once in a while, but all the time, is powerful. As, as a testimony, this is not like any other book on the planet. When's the last time someone picked up a copy of the, of the history of the Americas and became a believer? Or a letter from ancient antiquity and said, oh, I'm a believer now. But people pick up the Bible all the time. We hear testimony after testimony. Their life was in shambles. They're struggling to get through college. Their marriage is falling apart. Their job is being cut off at the end of the month. And they pick up a Bible and they read it. And all of a sudden, something happened. You've heard that testimony? The power of God's Word attests to the fact that it is God's Word. There's no other book you can read and gain this salvation. This book stands alone in that way. So he says, keep believing in the Bible because you're taught to believe in the Bible because the Bible is holy in and of itself. There's evidence because of the power that it has to save because the Bible brings you to Jesus. Verse 15. These sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You can read those ancient... I've read the Gospel of Thomas. I've read the Gospel of Judas. I've read the, several other Gnostic scriptures, passages, ancient documents. They don't ring reliable. They don't ring true. They don't inspire or push me towards Christ. None of them. I pick up the Gospel of Mark. I pick up the letter of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. And there's something evidently different happening inside of me. The power of God is present with the Word of God bringing people to Jesus Christ. 
So it's what we've been taught, so we should hold on to it, Paul says. It's the Holy Scripture. It's sacred. It's set apart. It's just different in its very character. There's power in these words, and it brings us to Jesus. And then in verse 16, at the very beginning, it says, The Scripture is breathed out by God. God Himself is truth, and now He is breathing out for us the truth. He is preaching to us the truth through the words of the Scripture. I mean, I'm just amazed that after all these years, we still have the very words that were written to us from the pen of the biblical writers. We still have it. I don't have to go through life trying to hear from God. I've, I've heard from Him. It's contained. This hearing from God, hearing from the Word, is so powerful in, in bringing us to continue to confess the truth, all Scripture is breathed out by God. How is it breathed out through God? Here at Grace Fellowship, we do not believe that the writers were robots transcribing, but rather that God worked in their personality, through their personality, their abilities, their writing styles, their educations. What we find in the Bible is documents that are very different from one another in their physical makeup. You read the Gospel of Luke, it is different than and much more complex as compared to the Gospel of Mark in the detail there. And John is simple in language but deep in theology. And so you get this different flavor when you read it. And when you go over to the book of Hebrews, you find a very complicated... I mean, don't you find yourself feeling very complicated... That whole perspicuity of Scripture is simple. It's easy to understand. You get to Hebrews and say, it's not so easy anymore. Right? I mean, in other words, there's character to this Bible. There's 66 books, all preaching the same message, and yet they do not do violence. The, the books are not, there's no violence done to the author. We can see their personalities coming out in each of the texts. So the Bible is breathed out by God, but not in such a way as to do violence to the writers themselves. They're all able to express themselves from within and through their own personalities. They, they're, in a sense, they're the medium from which God wrote the Scripture through them. Finally, the Bible is profitable. It's worth something. The Bible is doing something. Look what it says. What is it doing? It's teaching us. So it's telling us the way we should go. It's correcting us. It's telling us the way we shouldn't go. Right? It's teaching us. It's correcting us. It's training, it's, 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 uh, training us in righteousness. Why? So that we're equipped to live life. So we're ready to live life. So we're prepared to live a faithful life. Everything we need to live a life of faith in the Son of God is given to us in the Word of God. God has not hidden from us the truth and then expected us to find it. He's clearly revealed it in His Word and said, believe it, accept it, follow it. And so here at Grace Fellowship, we have a very high view of the Scripture. It's everything uh, we do here, we try to tie it back into the Scripture. We treat it as a regulative we use here a, a regulative principle, which means we're trying to do the things we see in the Bible, and we're trying to stay away from the things we don't see in the Bible. 
This is what we say about the Scripture. We believe that the Bible is God's written revelation of Himself. These Holy Scriptures are perfect as they were originally given by and from God. God breathed. And are the eternal, inspired, inerrant, infallible, verbal, and plenary very Word of God for man. Inerrant, we mean that it is without any error, without any mixing of error, without any flaw in its original writing. In its original text, it was this way. We believe it's infallible. It can never be proven wrong. That's why I'm not afraid they can bring forward all the Gospels of Jesus' wives they want to bring forward. They can make up and connect dots about all kinds of things in ancient history that they want. I'm not worried because the Bible is infallible. The Bible has been proven over and over again. Luther himself tried to, he beat against the text. He, he did all he could to get everything he could out of the text, in a sense, finding himself there, falling before God, confessing the truthfulness of the Scripture. So he, the harder he worked at it, the more he beat against it, the more truthful it was. It didn't crack under the weight of his inspection. It only stood the test. So we believe it's infallible. It's verbal and plenary. In other words, the words mean something, and it's enough. It's enough. The words mean something. So that's why we um, do expositional preaching. We're trying to explain the very words that God gave to us. We agree with the Chicago statement on biblical inerrancy as further explanation on our view of the Scripture. They are the sole authority and truth for all men, for all time, for all matters of faith and practice. Properly interpreted, they support or supersede all that follows. That's the beginning of our belief statement. Everything we believe is based, we believe, on the Scriptures. Matter of fact, we put an article in at the end of our belief statement that says, if we find that something we've said is not true according to Scripture, we're ready and willing to change it immediately. So we, this is our confession. This is our belief statement. So do we really believe that? I mean, that, that I think is the question because... Some of us are, you know, myself included, are news hounds. You know, we have it on Facebook, we have it on Twitter, we have it on uh, our email. I got it set up where major news articles are sent straight to my email. I love news. I read it all the time. I live that way. Okay? I even like your news. So when you post about your spaghetti that you cooked at home from your grandmother's uh, recipe and it's a family secret and you put it on Facebook. I read that, right? I'm reading all the time. I'm a reader. I love to read. And I'm just convicted often in my own life of, of my lack of reading the Word of God. In other words, you know, is it really what I'm basing my life on? Or is it that I'm basing my life on if opinions of others and opinions of, that I have and Lord, I hope not on Facebook, but anyway. What do we, what do we believe? I've, I've said it, but let me say it again from another statement, um, historical statement. We believe in the power of the Scripture. Scripture alone, this principle of the Reformation. It says, we reaffirm 
the inerrant Scripture to be the sole source of written divine revelation, which alone can bind the conscience. The Bible alone teaches all that is necessary for our salvation from sin and is the standard by which all Christians' behavior must be measured. We deny that any creed, counsel, or individual may bind a Christian's conscience, that the Holy Spirit speaks independent of or contrary to what is set forth in the Bible, or that personal spiritual experience can ever be a vehicle of revelation. So we believe in the, what's known as Scripture alone, sola scriptura. This is what we believe. This is a founding principle of our church. So, what questions do you have about this Scripture? About our stance on the Scripture? Grace Fellowship is a fellowship based around the Word of God, based on the Word of God, and exists solely to help others believe in the power of the Word of God. I mean, the power of the Word of God is the gospel of Jesus Christ, as Paul said. It's able to bring you to salvation in Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. It's for this Word. In, in by saying this, R.C. Sproul is teaching... One time, and he tells the story much better than I do, but um, he's, te he's teaching, and he's in seminary. He's got these young seminarians, and they, two guys sitting there, and they challenge him because he's teaching kind of what we're teaching tonight, and they challenged him. They said, oh, but the Bible's filled with all these contradictions. He said, really? He said, yep. He said, well, I'll tell you what. You go home. You take 24 hours. You find all the contradictions you can. Write them down. Bring them back to me. Uh, and he said, now, we need to understand what a contradiction is. So he defined it because there's a specific term about a contradiction. And so he gave them the definition. They went home. Came back all blurry-eyed the next day. He said, what did you find? They both kind of him honor. He said, no, what did you find? Where's the contradictions? They said, well, we couldn't find any. You couldn't find any. Did you go to the library? We went to the library. Did you read all the critics? Read all the critics. You can't find any contradictions? No, we can't find any contradictions. And he took that opportunity to just tell them that. See, what was happening was they heard people saying there were all these contradictions. But they weren't going and finding the contradictions for themselves. So he challenged them to go find the contradictions. And they couldn't even find the contradictions that were supposedly contradictions. You see the problem that we, we tend to get, we lose faith we, we cower down because some expert says there's something wrong. Like Aaron said, you know, another one was the great archaeological find of Jericho. For centuries, they scoffed at the Bible about the city of Jericho. There is no city of Jericho. They were just adamant until a British archaeologist undug the city of Jericho. And they excavated it fully. And not only did they find it, but the walls, believe it or not, collapsed. Just like, they, they, they wrote it down. These guys weren't Christians. They wrote it down. It looks like these walls collapsed. They described the collapse just like the Bible said it did. Now, I'm not surprised by that. But I'm just saying, even archaeology, even the supposed contradictions aren't real contradictions. I hear the one all the time about, and this is the one that you may have heard, you know, the one about the story where the sun stood still. You've heard this and that's based on 
Uh, in fact, the sun doesn't move, right? We're orbiting around the sun. The sun's not orbiting around us. And they say, see how silly the Bible is? Pre-scientific is talking about the sun moving. Well, but the only problem with that is go turn your weather on tonight. What are they going to say? What? What's going to happen in the morning? And what's going to happen tomorrow night? The, Bible, the Bible's no different, right? It's speaking from a human standpoint. There's no contradiction and no failure there scientifically. We still talk that way and we're in the scientific era, right? The sun rising, the sun setting. What is this hogwash? Right? Why don't they say the earth orbited and turned on its axis and so then the sun came plainly into view because there's too many words. There's an economy of words happening there. It's no, no contradiction. No contra- we could go on and on with these supposed contradictions that exist and failures of the Bible, but the fact is they never stand up. And they don't stand up because there is no contradiction. In reality, we have a very uh, privileged position in history. We hold in our hands what many never saw with their own eyes. We hold in our hands that it's been entrusted to us to study and build our lives on a book that people are willing to die for without ever owning a copy of. God has blessed us so much. And I just want to encourage you, don't just believe that it's true. Find out that it's true. Study it. Put it to the test. If you still have doubts about the validity of the Word of God, I just challenge you like Sproul did his students. Go study it for yourself. Don't believe secondhand information. Go study it and go put it to the test. It'll stand up.